Today's podcast is sponsored by Fire Facilities Incorporated, expert engineers, designers, and manufacturers of steel training towers, burn rooms, and mobile units that are all made in the USA. Welcome back to Three Point Firefighter. Today, my guest is John Cuomo. Now, John is a firefighter paramedic, author, and owner of Wild Bull Media Incorporated. He has over 20 years as a firefighter, and he's passionate about the fire and police communities. John served as a driver, engineer, lieutenant, and captain, and he stepped up as an EMS chief, a battalion chief, and a training chief. Now, John has a new book out called Leadership Refined by Fire. And when he's not writing books, he's probably reading books or collecting Spider-Man comics. He's currently working on a new book about PTSD and mental health within the fire service, a subject he considers a priority. Brother Cuomo, thank you for being on. Thank you so much, Jake. I'm so happy to be here with you and uh, with your audience. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, well, let's start off with this. Why don't you tell me what got you in the fire service? Tell me a little bit about your department uh, and your career and what brought you to where you're at now. Sure, sure thing. Uh, you know, uh, my my road to the fire service is a little different than a lot of other people. Normally, you hear about the uh, the kid that grew up ever since he was a little kid. He wanted to be a firefighter, or his dad was a firefighter, and he wanted to you know follow his steps. I didn't have that. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I knew about the fire service, but not much. And when I I moved, ended up moving to Florida at the end of my high school um, um, time frame. And I ended up just getting a job right away in the electrical field. And my goal was to become an electrician. After four years, you could become a journeyman. And then after seven years, you can own your own company. But Florida ended up having a little bit of a recession in the early 1990s. And the, the company that I was working for dropped all the way down from 20 employees down to four. And I was one of those left. And then there, uh, we ended up only working four-day work weeks. We had no insurance and things like that. So... I knew I wanted a family. I always wanted a big family. So I started applying at places like city jobs, uh, places with benefits like uh, the electric company, the phone company, places like that. And the fire department was one of them. I just was putting an application in. Um, and I went through uh, a test. I was testing for Delray Beach Fire Rescue. And I got past the written test. I did the uh, physical. And then I went to the, um, um, the interview. Board, and they told me they really liked me a lot, but they said, you got to go get your certifications. And I had no idea what that was. So I went downstairs into the firehouse and I asked the guys, what does this mean? And they said, well, you have to go to school and become an EMT and a firefighter, those two academies before you could even apply down here in Florida. So I promptly went and started doing that. I did EMT school first while I was still working. And then when I went to the fire academy, Everything changed for me. The moment I stepped into that academy, I fell in love with the fire service. It was literally love at first sight. And I knew that for the rest of my days, I would be surrounded by the fire service. This is what I wanted to do forever. So I'd never had that introduction with it before. But boy, once it hit me, it was like a stone and knocked me right over. And, and that was it. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this no matter what. I, I, want, I want in. And and it, it, you know, it never really changed. You have your ups and downs, you know, and everyone in the fire service knows about those ups and downs, but I love the fire service. I did about 24 years where I worked. Um, I ended up uh, having kind of a neck injury that, that uh, forced difficulty for the helmet. We had semi leather helmets uh, and it was very difficult to contain the leather helmet on my head. 
And um, I, interestingly, I was uh, next in line for promotion to battalion chief and it took about a year and change and I just couldn't, and my neck couldn't handle it anymore. I'd already had one surgery on it and I knew I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to end up retiring out at that point in time, but my love never waned, you know, and I wanted to stay involved with the fire service. So I wrote a book, the book that you were talking about, and um, I'm continuing to stay close to the fire service. I love being around it. Um, I started this book about 15 years ago while I was still in the fire service working there, writing a bunch of notes and things like that. And when you read the book, you, it, it gives you right from the beginning what, what my reasoning was. I, I had a call early on in my career, very early. I was there just a couple of years as a firefighter. And um, the town that I worked for had 13 miles of beachfront and things were constantly washing up on the beach. So we get oh, calls yeah. all the time. I like this story. I like it. <laughs> yeah. We get calls all the time for barrels on the beach and I mean, wood, whatever it was, people called. So we got this call one time and we just, we literally, you know, we drive out there like, here we go. What's this going to be? And we get to the beach and my lieutenant was like a little bit lazy. He's like, John, go down there and take care of it. You know, I'm going to sit here at the engine. Just let me know what it is. So I was kind of new. I run down the beach with, with the other firefighter and I see the crowd there and they're all gathered around. And so I walk up, I caught my way through the crowd and, and, and literally my stomach drops. I look down, it's, it looks like a missile. And I'm like, what on earth is this? I, I call back my lieutenant. I don't know what to do. I'm like thinking, I call my lieutenant back. I'm like, uh, I, I think there's a missile. And, and, and he's like, oh, you know, you're an idiot, John. There's not a missile on the beach, obviously. How does a missile get on the beach, you know? So I was like, I, 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 he's like I'm going to come down there and take care of it. So in the meantime, I didn't know what to do, how to handle the crowds, what to do. I'm sitting there thinking about it. And finally, I got in my mind, you know, take care of the crowd, make sure that they're safe. So I started moving them away. And then, you know, I called for police protection and things like that. But that just dawned on me right then and there that it position I was in. I was a firefighter. And when I showed up on a scene, people looked to me and wanted me to fix the situation. So that kind of rocked my world right there. And then on top of that, I recognized that one day I would be in a position to lead individuals. And now I'm putting their lives in the line. So I really became very interested in leadership early on in my career. and really began to set out and study as much as I possibly could. Um, the department I worked for. It's a smaller department. We only had about 75 uh, personnel, firefighter personnel. Um, and we had three stations. And uh, each station was staffed with a, an engine, a, a medic truck, we called it, and a ladder truck. And we would uh, run all the fire and all the medic. We ran everything. You know, everyone in South Florida has to be a paramedic. So you have to be a firefighter and you have to be a paramedic as well. Um, so if there was a medical call, we ran on it just as much. In fact, that was probably more so than fire calls. Um, we had an older community. Uh, so I genuinely loved taking care of my customers. I really did. I loved serving my, my city. Uh, I wish I could have done it for 50 years. You know, it's uh, a privilege, a privilege. So what's the department name? Town of Palm Beach. So okay. it was it was called Palm Beach Fire Rescue. But sometimes you might get that confused because we have a Palm Beach County Fire Rescue as well. So it's okay. a much bigger fire department. Uh, the city of Palm Beach is uh, uh, everyone's familiar with Donald Trump. Uh, he's got a house down there, uh, Palm mm -hmm. Beach and a few of the other. Um, it's kind of a wealthy little town. Uh, so 13 miles long and not too wide. So right. a little strip of an island. Oh, 
Nice. And uh, you said something just now. You said you love taking care of your customers. I haven't heard too many people say that, and I'm, I'm a proponent for it because people are our customers. And uh, the first person that comes to mind that said that was Alan Bruncini, so uh, out of Phoenix, Chief Bruncini. So obviously you got a passion for not only the fire service, but leadership. Who were your mentors in the fire service that like taught you leadership or you looked up to or read or, or went to their conferences? Yeah. So, you know, I, Jake, I, I really began to start reaching out for leadership immediately, as I, as I said to you, and I noticed right away that there was, um, now this was back, we're talking 30, a little more than 30 years ago. So I noticed at the time in my area, it was really focused on two things. What type of manager are you? What, what was your personality type? Things like that. Are you a manager or are you a leader? Um, and so I really didn't feel like I got a lot out of that. And of course, there's always fire tactics and you have to know your job. That's the, one of the primary things to being a good leader is the first thing is you have to know your job well. So I, I began taking all those courses to the best I could. But as far as I wanted to be able to deal with the dynamics of personnel interaction. You know, what if I have an employee that tells me to screw off? How do I handle that? What if I have, uh, you know, to tell, uh, how do I handle a patient that's having difficulty with the loss of a loved one? What if a city official talks to me? How do I deal with that? What if I have a personality conflict with my boss? How, you know, what are the things that I can learn from those as well as fire tactics? So I started reaching out and I began reading tons of books on leaders all throughout fields, whether it be in the military, um, presidents, biographies on presidents, great leaders throughout history, civil rights leaders, everything I could get my hand on, psychiatry, psychology. Literally, if, I, if there was a book that talked about dealing with people, I grabbed it and I was reading. And I began pulling principles from all these different places, writing them down, putting them into practice in my practice, seeing which ones worked, which ones didn't work. And I built a, a very good repertoire of what to use. In fact, uh, one of my chapters in my book talks about getting a mentor, the importance of getting a mentor. And sometimes it might be difficult in, a, in your fire department because you may be in a small department like I was, and there may not be a lot of individuals. So you may have to reach to different individuals for different mentoring qualities, and you may have to reach outside your department to find some mentors. And you may have to read into books. You know, some of my big mentors in life, I would say, are uh, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, some of these individuals that I really feel I gleaned a lot from. Well, obviously, none of them lived during my lifetime. So I got that information from reading about them and learning. But inside the fire department, I would say Chief Brunacini, as you bring him up, was one of the biggest early on. I, I read a, a book, a cartoon book that he had written uh, about customer service. And yes. I just was enthralled. You got that, too? Yes. That was one of my, hardly anybody knows that book. It's a great book. Yes, I, I was enthralled. If you don't mind my head, I'm going to turn around and see if I got it here. The uh, quick access. Um, I'd have to take me a moment to look for it. I got a pretty big library. But um, yeah, I fell in love. I was like, this is exactly what I believe in. I want to take care of the customer. You know, they call 911, Jake. Their life has just hit some serious turmoil for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Their house is burning. They're having a heart attack. They're in a car accident, whatever it is. Suddenly you show up on the scene and you're Superman. You're the knight in shining armor. And you really yes. do have the ability to help them out. And boy, when you do it, I, I talk about some stories I was, I was fortunate enough to do uh, in, when I was a, a, a lieutenant and a captain. 
Did you mind if I tell you one real quick? Please. Um, this is all about you, brother. Okay. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. So it was uh, uh, one of our years. It was Thanksgiving Day. And I love Thanksgiving Day. I love holidays on the island because it was quiet. You know, it was uh, uh, nobody's working. Everyone's home. They're watching football. You know, they're relaxing. They have friends over. And so it's a quiet day. In the firehouse, our families come and visit us. It's so they, the, the firehouse is filled with kids running around and screaming and wives and husbands and things. So it's a cool day. Everybody, we always do a big meal. We hang out together. Well, we get this call and we head down. It's a fire. And we, we go, we, we pull up, we smoke coming out of the front door. We enter in through the front door and the kitchen's on fire. And not a huge fire. We knock it out pretty quick. We open up the back wall and we, we get the extension. Now, the town of Palm Beach is very rare in Florida. The entire island is natural gas. So the rest of Florida, for the most part, is all electric. So if you have a stove in Florida, it's an electric stove. In the town of Palm Beach, you could actually have a gas stove. So what happened with this lady is she was cooking a turkey for Thanksgiving. And the, the, the grease, she had it, the pot wasn't big enough. So the grease had overflowed in the oven, lit the entire oven up. It went up the back wall you know, start a, a, a small fire. So we put that out. And one of our uh, SOPs is we have to lock out the gas with a, with a specific lock. And the, only the gas company can unlock it. And they'll only unlock it once you do the repairs and the repairs are done by a contractor. They want to make sure everything's done right before they give you access to gas. So we shut it down. We clean everything up. I lock it up. And I tell the lady, I said, listen, ma'am, here's the situation. The fire's out. Everything's under control. Unfortunately, you can't use your stove for a little while. You know, she's like, what do you mean? I explained the whole thing to her like I just explained to you. She starts this terrible look upon her face. And she's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, ma'am, what, what's going on? She's like, I can't do this. We can't do this. And I said, what's the matter? And she starts halfway crying. And she's like, you don't understand. I haven't spoken to my family in over 20 years. We had a falling out. And they're just, we just started repairing it. And they're coming in from New York. And this is a Thanksgiving dinner we're doing together. And now I can't do that. And she starts crying. And now I'm looking around like, okay, what do I do? What, how do I handle the situation? And then it just dawned on me. And I said, well, how much more time do you have for the turkey? And she was, I just put it in not that long ago. There's like another two to three hours. I said, I'll tell you what, man, I'll take the turkey to the firehouse and all the rest of the fixings that you have. We'll finish the cooking. You clean up right here. I'll call you in two to three hours when it's ready. You come pick it up and then you can have your family over in your, your kitchen. She just stood at me, looked at me like stunned for about, 30 seconds. She didn't move. She didn't say anything. And I was like, okay, did I say something wrong? And she's like, are you, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, we'll do it. You know, I, and I had a gourmet, my driver was a gourmet cook. The guy was phenomenal. So I knew I wasn't going to kill this turkey. And uh, <laughs> so we took everything home. We cooked it all up for her. We brought it up and no doubt she had a fantastic meal. We made her day. We fixed that situation for her. And to me, I love that. I could do that every shift, you know, do something like that to make someone's life. I, I checked on my customers all the time. Uh, my patients that we ran on, the next shift, I would go by and see them, say hello to them, see how they were. Or I'd stop at the hospital and see them if they were still there. You know, I really enjoyed it. And there's some more stories in my book that talk about some of the customer services, uh, things that I did. But, yeah, I got I, I fell in love with Alan Boudicini's, uh book there when, when I saw that. I said, that that's how I want to be when I'm, when I'm in charge and I'm able to do so. That's fantastic, brother. And that same book, um, it actually affected me as well because I read, I hope I got this story right. It's been a while since I've um, 
read the book, but I believe one of the examples he gives, it's so much like what you said, where an ambulance made a car wreck, a guy was going to the airport, uh, he wasn't hurt, and the ambulance crew, he was he was late for his flight. So I think the ambulance crew uh, called and, you know, told him that he was going to be late, may even help rebook his flight, but they went above and beyond, which is what we should yeah. do. And yeah. doing it is actually really easy. It's just caring about somebody and thinking right. about if this person was my family, what would I want somebody to do for them? That's an amazing exactly. story. I love that. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. I try throughout the book to always say, if it was your mom and she had called, how would you want her treated? You know, mm-hmm. or how would you react if you just found out that the fire department did this for your mom? Uh, they cut uh, one time we had a, a massive, massive royal palm fall down in someone's yard. And um, it kind of fell close to the neighbor. And it was a little bit of a hassle getting around. And I don't know if you know how expensive it is to cut a tree down. It's I mean, it's like six, seven hundred dollars. And this was a very tight squeeze between the houses. And this lady called 911 because the tree fell. And she's like, all right, I, you know, I said, you're going to have to call someone to cut up the tree. And she was an older lady. And, you know, and she's like, oh, I don't know how much that's going to be and all this stuff. And I said, OK, just you know, stand by. Just go out and check on some things. I'll come back before I leave and I'll see you. And, you know, the fire department, we got the best equipment in the world. I got chainsaws I can cut concrete. We went out there. With boom, 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 boom. We sliced that thing up like it was a hot pancake. We dragged that out to the street, and in probably 25 minutes, we were done. Knocked that thing out for her for free. Went back, knocked on her door. She started crying. You know, to me, I, I love that. You know, she'll never forget. And I probably, Jake, have about 100 letters or more from customers that have written into the fire, fire department saying, thank you so much for the work you did. So-and-so came out. And this crew came out and handled this for me. And what a you know amazing experience it was. And, you know, I... We can do so many things for the for, for people. I think the fire department is the last, um, I don't want to say the last hope, but you know as well as I do, I'm sure the leadership is lacking in our wonderful country. We as the fire department can set such a wonderful example, you know, everywhere we go, that we are here, we're here to care for you, we're here to take care of you, we're here to set the right example. It doesn't matter who you are, we're going to take care of you. You're our customer, we're here to help you. So I love that part. Absolutely. Now, before we get into your book or books, because I know you're writing another one, I got to ask what tell me about Wild Bull Media. (laughs) I'm so interested in this. (laughs) That's my publishing company. So I've always had this fascination with bulls. I don't know why I got I have bulls all over my desk. If you came here, you'll see this all over my house. And um uh, so a couple of years ago, I've always been involved in the stock market. Maybe that's where the, I started watching the stock market when I was nine years old, uh, on PBS in New York on Sundays. So I've always loved bulls. I've loved that whole part of it. Um, so that's just really my publishing company. And a couple of years ago, I wrote a script for a television show. So I was able finally to put, uh, yeah, I, I have, I'm getting ready to, push it back out that we had a problem. We were about to film it. And um, the girl that was involved with it, her boyfriend was, I guess, kind of jealous of the road that she was going down and they ended up having some problems. So she had a bail on me. And uh, so we stopped the production right then and there. And then I got busy with a bunch of other things and I started writing this book more and stuff like that. So we're going back to that production I also uh, have T-shirts and, and, and clothing line that I'm going to push out there. So 
Wobble Media is really my publishing company that I, you know, I'm trying to uh, eventually establish after the after my book, you know, starts uh, gets a little ground flow. Holy cow, that is so cool! So, can you tell us anything about this television show, or is it going to be a surprise? It's kind of a surprise, uh, but I'll tell you this: it involves the fire department, and yes. uh, it, yeah, and it, of course, you know, that's the love, and it involves uh, cooking. So. Maybe I'll tell you what, when we're off, yeah, when we're off camera a little bit, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the rundown. How's that sound? Oh, and, uh, perfect. <laughs> you hear that, listeners? I'm on the inside. That's right. <laughs> I just want to surprise everybody else. But I, I wouldn't mind hearing your uh, feedback on it because I really think it's a great idea. And, and the, uh, you know, when we were putting it together, everyone I spoke to thought it was a really good idea. So, uh, yeah, after we're said done, I'll give you a rundown and see what you think. Oh, man, that is super cool. Super cool. Um, I kind of lied to you. We're going to get to your book, which, by the way, I loved and I highly recommend. But tell me about your Spider-Man fascination, because I <laughs> am very much a Spider-Man nut since I was a little kid. So when really? I got this bio, I was like, yes. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man. Phew, love Spider-Man. That's love funny it. you say that, because I just spoke to the publisher, the publishing company today, and I asked them to remove that from my bio. But um, ah, gotcha. I, I wasn't sure if, if that would come across as kind of goofy. I'm not sure, you know. But they had asked me initially when, when uh, did I have any like hobbies? And I was like, well, you know, I've collected comics since I was a kid. But so I'll tell you this, Jake, when I was young, um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. It was a very, very rough upbringing, unfortunately. Um, not the best family upbringing, tough times, had a big family, but some rough times. And so for some reason, I would go to the local comic store. And I was fascinated by this old art, like the 12 cent comics and the 10 cent comics, the 50s and 60s art. It was just simple. It was, um, I don't know. I'm not sure what the words were, but so I would go there and I just would buy the comic. I had a paper route and I would save enough money and I'd go buy a comic, an old one. And I never even read it, never read one. I just take it and I'd put it in the, in the, in the form, cover it up and keep it. And oh. I'd like to. Yeah, I'd love the art on the cover. And I just started doing that over the years and over the years. And as I got older, I just kept doing it. And then next thing I knew, I had almost every single Amazing Spider-Man comic um, ever made. I mean, I had all the uh, the, the web of Spider-Man, the Spider-Man, the ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, all the different ones. At one time, I had 3,500 comics, you know. Holy cow. And, yeah. And uh, that's kind of a sad tale because uh, – Unfortunately, we bumped into some financial issues uh, and I needed a place. My son wanted to go to a, a specific high school and we wanted to buy a, a condo there. So I ended up having to sell the majority of my comics. And um, so that's not I'm, a I'm, sad story. That Spider-Man saved you. Yes, he helped it did. you. That's what Spider-Man does. Did. That's true. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it, Jake. A very See? good way. But you know what? I've been I've been picking them back up again. So I, I'm probably um, maybe close to a thousand now. Um, but there was a time, Jake, when I had, and if you know Spider Man, I uh, I had I think twelve, thirteen Spider Man number, Amazing Spider Man number three hundred when the Venom came yeah. out. I had probably four of them, CGC nine point eights. Um, and even a platinum version, which was a very rare version, those CGC 9.8s right now are going for 6000 a pop. Um, yeah. And 
needless to say, I, I got far less than, you know, that when I sold them. But um, the the Spider-Man series, number one, there's like they made four different comics of number one. Not Amazing Spider-Man, but just Spider-Man. I had 120 mm-hmm. copies of number one. I mean, I was just went home. <laughs> Yeah, I would go crazy because I, I don't know, I enjoyed the, the whole thing. And then I bought all the variants and, you know, to me, it was just like, it was a neat collection. It was, it was nostalgic to me. I could, I showed my kids as, as they were growing up and I would tell them about the comic book store. And sometimes we drive back to New York and the comic book store was closed since then, but I'd show them where it was. And yeah, this is where your dad would walk down these 10 blocks, you know, go here. So there was a lot of nostalgia to it. And, and I'd go back sometimes when I was stressed out you know, from work and everything else that was going on, raising kids, all the life things. And sometimes I just sit there and look at the covers, you know, and just, uh, I don't know, there's something oh, wow. about it. It's so who's your best Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe? On the movies? Um, I, I I think I like the, the latest guy, the English guy. Um, yeah, Tom Holland, okay. Yeah, how about you? It's going to be Tom Holland for me. Um, I thought, uh, who was it? Uh, who was one a couple of years ago? Shoot. You know who I'm talking yeah. about, right? The very first one? Yeah, he was in the movie Cider House. Oh, Toby Maguire, that's it. Yes, I yes, love yes. Toby Maguire. But when Tom Holland got on scene, I was like, he embodies everything that I remember from the cartoon. Yes, I thought yes, it was fantastic. I agree. I agree. I did think Toby Maguire did a he like he had the look, you know, and he he, mm-hmm. he was very close, I agree, but I believe uh Mr. Holland, Holland, I think his name is. Yeah, you said. I think he probably. I, I like the way he does it. You know, I really do. And I thought I that the latest one was pretty cool. The uh, yeah, the multi universe that was pretty cool. Oh, Did you see that yes. one? Yes. Okay. Yes, I, two or three times. Bringing Loved them, it. yeah, bringing them back. The three of them. That was so cool, man. That uh, was really you know, cool. You knew it was coming, but when you see it on screen, oh my god! You know yeah. what? We got to quit talking about this. Everybody's t- is not listening to our podcast That's now. True. Right. Sorry about <laughs> We're that. not talking fire shit. But there's probably a couple <laughs> fire nerds out there going, "Oh yeah, that was really good." Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about your book, which is fantastic. It's fantastic. So, so much. my hobby—I don't know if it's a hobby. I think it's—I I lack so much in leadership. I'm constantly striving to read and, and try to improve. Um, and there's some great leadership books out there. Uh, my man, Jared Sergi, uh, Josh Chase, uh, Hovelman, uh, geez, it goes on and on. Um, Salka, everybody. And, but I gotta admit, I really, really love your book. It is so well written. It's, oh, it's so I love reading, uh, a blog called the fire inside by Mark alone. And I think and Mike, Mark writes a lot of articles too. And Mark is just an excellent, excellent author. And when I was reading your book, I was like, yep, he's like, Mark, your style is fantastic. Anytime a firefighter quotes Aristotle and Tolstoy uh, and references the the Talmud and then, uh, you know, what what else was it? Oh, shoot. Um, The Quran, the Bible. The Quran. But yeah, I was engrossed. I was like, okay, this guy is a great writer. Uh, It's a great writer. It's, It's great information. It's just it's an all around great book. Now, thank you. You did not ask me to to interview you for the book. You didn't ask me to give you my thoughts on the book, but I want to brag on the book. The book is fantastic. Um, thank you so much. Unfortunately, I got a digital copy, so I'm going to have to send you my computer and have you sign the screen and then send me my computer back. Is, it, is that fair? Well, if you, I think if I could do that, or if you'd like, you uh, when we're done, you could give me your address, and I'd be happy to send you a copy. of personal copy and I'll sign it for you if that's what you'd like. 
that would be easier because I'm afraid you'd go through some of my personal files on my computer under artistic <laughs> and you might judge me. And I don't want you to judge me. I, no, you know, no, no I'm, judgment here. Okay, no judgment okay. here. <laughs> so, but yes, I, I'd be now, happy to do that. Oh, I'd love it. I love it. I, I got a bookshelf over there, a bunch of books and some of my favorite books. And I'd love to add that to my collection. So one of the things I did with your book, though, was totally different than I've done any other book. I usually read a couple of books at the same time. So I'll read some of your book and then I'll go read some Hubbleman's book. Uh, I'll go read uh, what was it? Small, Unit, uh, Small Unit Leadership. I kind of go back and forth only because I feel like I got ADHD. I'll start reading. And then when I start reading the same thing over and over, I'm like, okay, I need to read something else. And I kind of switch back and forth. But I did something even more different with your book. I went straight to the um, context. uh, Yeah. And then I just looked at what's in the chapters. There's over 30 plus chapters on everything from mental health uh, to what got me was rumors. Rumors. Chapter 34. I wrote it down, I think. 32. Chapter 32 on rumors. Dude, you got me with that one. I was like, okay, okay. I have failed miserably in the fire service by listening to rumors. I've start, I've started rumors, but I've passed on rumors that I didn't verify. Yeah. Being a basic piece of shit, I admit, uh, and I really struggle with some of that stuff. So I read it, and I was like, dude, this is on point. I try not to read people's stuff to them directly, but I did save some notes. If you don't care, I'd like to bring it up and get your thoughts on sure. it. Okay? Sure, yeah. So. Sure. On chapter 32, rumors, you said, this hit me, man, punched me right in the gut. Reputations can be ruined by rumors. Careers lost, they can affect promotions and the attitudes of others towards the individual damaged by the rumor. And here's what I love. You said, I personally would rather have a broken leg than any of the other results. At least my leg would heal. Holy cow. Just fantastic, brother. That was, punched me right in the gut. (laughs) Tell me about that. What was the impetus for that? What made you... What were you thinking of when you came up with that one? You're like, any specific thing or just a bunch of different things? Yeah, probably I would say, you know, as you read in the book, I, I outlined that I've made, made many mistakes in my career. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in fact, to be honest with you, the leadership refined by fire, the, the, the title actually refers to me. My leadership was refined by fire. I made mistakes. I did dumb things. I studied certain things. So I ref, I was personally refined through the years for the things I did. So when I started in the fire service, I was this 21 year old kid. I had zero guidance really growing up. I had no idea how to conduct myself. I walk in, I'm fresh off the boat from Brooklyn, New York, cocky, arrogant. Here's all these Southern guys that did not accept me right away. And then I was going to be like, Hey, I don't care who you are. I'm going to tell you off. I'm going to do this, do this. So I kind of dug myself a hole right in the beginning. Excuse me. And that led to a lot of rumors being spread about me. And when you're in a small department, it's very easy. You know, it's kind of strange because the chief initially loved me. You know, he absolutely loved me. I And we got along really well. But I just, I didn't know how to react. I didn't know how to shut my big mouth in the beginning. And I learned that lesson. But what ended up happening is some of those things that were spread about me, some, you know, were probably additions to the, the my actions that I did, you know, uh, you know, everything is added, but the next time he adds something else and the next time he adds something else, it took me years to get through those. I mean, many years, people would come on, you know, five years later, six, seven, eight years later, by this time I'm, I'm stepping up in leadership roles and people like, like, I heard you did this, this, and this. And I'm like, wow, this, and, and then you have to try to lift certain things down. Um, and you, 
so I realized, I said, you know, besides taking responsibility for the things you do do yourself, to try to live down other people's words about you that are not true, it's very difficult. And if it gets around enough, if enough people, then it's certainly going to come up on promotion. It's certainly going to come up on when you're leading other people some, and you tell them you need to do this, this, this. Well, I heard you did this, this, and this when you were asked. Well, that's not really true. You know, so I, I put some of those pieces together and I said, you know what? I don't want anyone else to have to walk through those roads. You know, if, if we don't want to say things about other people, especially if they're not true, you got to say something, brag about, you know, something good about your brother or sister, you know, and, and let's uplift the department because the whole department ends up suffering. You talk about that person and then, you know, then it goes around and then people misjudge and then people are, are, are you know, worried about working with you or they don't want to work with you. You know, it's just not good for the brotherhood, you know. So it was a few Absolutely. things like that that I put together and then made me realize, you know, I would rather broken leg because it heals in six months and I'm done with it. Not six years, you know. So. Yes. Loved it. I uh, several years ago, I found myself uh, sitting at tables in the morning and hearing everybody complain or run other brothers down. And I was joining in and then I caught myself one time and I'm like, wow, I'm going to be a piece of shit. And I decided I'm going to, from now on, I knew I couldn't stop immediately, which I want to put a pin in this one little part here because I want to come back. I want to go to chapter four about habits because I think it kind of ties in. But anyway, so I said, you know what? I need to stop this. So whenever I caught myself doing it, I would immediately cut myself off and say something good about the person. And I thought, wow, that's really forward thinking. That's really good. But you know what? I don't know anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I caught myself, but I was still thinking it. I was still helping perpetuate rumors. So it's something I'm really I constantly struggle with. And I don't want to blame any environment or anything. It's it's I'm in control of me. Uh, but uh, I know for a fact there's, you know, everybody has some rumor against them, I guess. But I've never understood why somebody just doesn't come to you and say, hey, I heard this about you. Right. You know, because by the time right. it does get to you, then it's like, like you said, it's added on, you know, you might've yeah. tripped down the stairs. By the time it comes to you, you hear about, he, he shot an old trip down the stairs. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a, at all what happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I started doing Jake towards uh, the second half of my career? Cause I, cause I really didn't like rumors that uh, so much as I started telling individuals, there was a time frame when I stopped being around the table at all in the morning, you know, and that helped me develop the better attitude. Because I was beginning to get a bad attitude because of hearing all the negativity. So I stopped doing that. But then what ended up helping me a lot was I would tell people when I would hear them say something, I would say, listen, I know so-and-so, and and he's my brother in the firehouse. And so I just want you to know I'm going to confirm with him that you said this, that he did this. I'm going to go and confirm with him. And people don't like that. And in the beginning, they didn't believe me. So I would would go and I'd say, hey, uh, so-and-so, I just heard this about you from this person. Is that accurate? Then that then they would get upset and they would call that person and it would kind of squash that. But what ended up happening completely is no one would say stuff around me anymore. Like if you're going to say something room around John, he's going to find out if it's true or not. And so that helped me a bunch right then and there. And people got to know it. I I just wasn't engaged in that. I have a lot of faults, Jake. But one thing, thankfully, I never was an individual that really liked bantering. I mean, when I did electrical for three years. It was huge. You'd walk in and it was the da, 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 all day long. They were ripping on everything you did. You tripped. They mocked you. You put the wrong wire in. It was, you know, it was a joke. I just never like 
I wasn't that person that could rip back. I just wanted to do my job and have a good time. You know, um, mm -hmm. one thing God blessed me with was I wasn't good at that and I didn't want to do that. So people got, when they got around me, they got to see, look, let's just not even talk about anybody else. Just have, let's just have a blast, you know, while we're here and do our job. So it kind of worked out really good. That's fantastic. Um, I, again, I hate to read your own words to you, but they're, no they're that good. Um, Thank you. So I'm going to read one. It's, uh, there's two more in this chapter that just caught me. The, the other one is our words have been compared to an arrow. Once the words are released, they cannot be recalled. The harm they, they do cannot be stopped, and the harm they, can, they do cannot always be predicted. Words like arrows often go astray. And that was such a great mental image for, for me. I'm like, you know what? That's, that is, that's wonderful. Because if you think about it like that, immediately you're thinking about inflicting pain. If you think about rumors as an arrow, the only thing they're doing is, is going to cause pain somewhere down the road. Yeah. That was outstanding. Yeah. Um, and the last thing, again, I'm going to keep saying it. I'm embarrassed when I read some of their own words, but I'm going to keep doing it because it's my podcast yeah. and hell, I'm yeah. an awesome boss. No worries. <laughs> no now worries. This my one, pleasure. I say the best for last. You ready for this one? Yeah, you wrote sure. it. You probably know it. An officer who does or who allows it shows his weakness ignorance and a lack of regard for the firefighter, the department and those they serve. You did not pull back anything. You get let it all land on that one paragraph. That is yeah. points. I mean, point on there, brother. That's great. Great. Thank you. So, uh, Thank you. I mean, that's just total truth. Just total truth. Yeah. So if an officer is, is allowing it, if an officer is, you know, participating it, God forbid the officer is starting it. Yeah, man. They, they really weaken the entire system. That's it. And you know what, Jake? Sometimes we individuals come into the department and they forget that the fire service is much bigger than they are. And mm -hmm. when you start slinging stuff and you break down the fire service, you're hurting everybody. You, you go out there and you mess up and you do something really dumb. All of the firefighters in the country are affected by it, by the negative attention, by maybe a negative thoughts that people have. When it comes to maybe giving them a raise or even discussing benefits with them, things like that, you affect the fire service all over. So all of our actions that we do, if we look at it that way, that the fire service is much bigger than us, then that's kind of the reason why I wanted to hit that hard. Remember, you affect everybody, not just your brothers that are there locally, and that's important too. But you're affecting everybody in the fire service, and we just don't want that. You know as well as I do, everybody knows everybody. We all know firefighters. Down here in Florida, there's probably 25 different fire departments just in my local locale that I, you know, uh, know and know individuals from. I could just say this, you know, and then I, you have siblings that work in other departments. My brother's a firefighter in the city of Boca. Then many of the guys that I work with in my department, they have brothers or sisters in other departments all over. So you start saying something to them, then they tell their friend in this department, and that starts spreading that. We just got to stop that. So earlier when I was talking, I said I wanted to put a pin in something when talking about rumors. Um, right. Because I want to go to another chapter. So like I said, I read your, your book out of order because I was just, I'd go from one thing to the other. And I, I love doing it that way. Um, my OCD is probably kicking in high, but I couldn't help it when I saw rumors and I started to run. There was another one, uh, chapter, chapter four, Habits. And that one, I think that's the one I read right after rumors. And I really like this one. I was because... <laughs> 
I've always believed, uh, someone told me a long time ago, whether it's true or not, I, I follow this and it seems to work for me. It takes 21 times of doing something to either make or break a good or bad habit. So I started reading this chapter and I really enjoyed it. But what I really liked, and tell me if I got this part wrong, I believe your son gave you a book from Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. And in it, Ben Franklin talks about uh, his struggle with virtue, right? And right. you really connected with that. And you're like, you know, I struggle with some things. And you started keeping a journal. And in one of the pages, you have a picture of your actual journal. And it's zeros, ones, and twos. I couldn't make a whole lot out of it. Why don't you tell me, tell us a little bit about what led you, give me that story a little bit in your words, and then what led you to actually keep this journal and where did it, it land for you? So I love to read like you. I'll, I'll read three books at a time, four books at a time. And I really enjoy reading. Um, so my sons know that and they usually buy me books every so often. And one of my sons bought me this book on Benjamin Franklin. And in the book, Benjamin Franklin talks about how he decided to work on his virtues. Um, and so he made himself a chart. He would pick out one thing at a time and he would work on that for a full day. And so he would write down uh, maybe humility uh, or something to that effect. So let's just say, uh, you know, acting in a humble way. And then at the end of the day, he said he would chart how he did that day. And if he did successful, the next day he would work on another one. Then the next day, another one. And he would chart it e each day to see how he did. And then he would add second virtue and third virtue. So I thought about the idea and I thought that's a pretty good idea because it gives you some sort of accountability on yourself. And once you start holding yourself accountability, it makes it easier to accomplish what you want. What I tweaked was I, I didn't change it every day. So I would just pick one thing that I wanted to change. So I, this is kind of maybe goofy, but I had a habit of drinking soda way too much. You know, I, I couldn't stop drinking Coca-Cola. I love it. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to start with soda and just see how it works. And I made a chart Monday through Sunday and um, I would put the days of the month. And then at the end of the day, I would, and did I drink any soda? I had one or I had two, or I had three or I had zero. And that's how I would work on that one. And then once I did it for at least a couple of weeks where they were all zeros, then I would know, okay, I can move on to the next thing, whatever it is I want to do. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be something bad. It could be, um, I want to wake up and run, you know, every day, or, um, you know, I want to tell my wife I love her every day, or I want to do something special for her each and every day so that she knows. And so if you make yourself that kind of a chart and it's going to, I'm going to have a copy of a, a printable chart on my website that anyone can go to and just print it down and then they can fill out their own stuff the way it is. And in the book, I added some quotes to make it, if they're difficult things, I added some quotes that might help you uh, motivate you if you fail, you know, uh, during your time frame. And so you could just go down there and then you see how you do. Once you have something to stick to, it makes it easier. Boy, I tell you, when I looked at all those zeros and then I was jonesing for a Coca-Cola, you know, it's like, you know what? I don't want to break that line of zeros, so I'm not going to mm -hmm. do it. So the accountability made it easier for me to, to handle. And, and like I said, you could do it. You can make it a, say, I want to read uh, at least five pages every single day, you know, to better myself with this. Or I want to, you know, stop doing this one thing, whatever it may be. So you could apply it to anything. Because once you make it a habit, as you brought out, then it, it you don't even think about it. It just it just happens. I really like that. I love that very much. And I'm not going to say I'm going to do that, but it's in, it's in, so the way I work is I never it takes me forever to do something. I plant a seed, 
And a couple of weeks down the road is when I usually do it. So that seed is planted because I look when I look at that picture, I was like, dude, I want to do this. But I'm not going to jump right into it because I know if I jump right into something, I, seem, I feel like I just fail every time. So I'm the with seed you. is planted. The seed is planted. I'm with you. Yeah. Sometimes um, it takes you a little bit of time to, to, to wade into the water. Right. Absolutely, brother. You know, yeah. you get it. Um, so. Uh, I want to move on a little bit about your, your new book you're working on, but I really I want to stress again, this is a fantastic book. Uh, it is a very it's an all encompassing, very well written, very up to date. Uh, it's pertinent. I love it. I love it. Uh, and I look forward to getting a copy from you because it's yep. going to what some of these books, the, the really good ones, I'll, I got stick it, sticky notes all over them. So I can flip right to it when I need it and be reminded of stuff. And this one is going to be covered. I mean, covered in sticky notes. So uh, love the book. And anybody listening, not only get one for yourself, but give it to your captain or your major or your chief because it applies. This information just applies. I promise you. With that, I kind of like to wrap up on this, uh, end up on this, is, is tell me about, what got you in to be such an advocate for the mental health of the fire service? And tell us, give us a little preview of your new book. All right. Before I step into that, I just wanted to tell you in reference, I wrote that uh, fire uh, leadership is defined by fire in a way that you can use it as a reference guide, Jake, that you could always go back to. That's why I separated those chapters because you're going to be an officer or even just a regular firefighter. You're going to run across these things in your career because our careers are so long. Today, rumors might be bothering you. Down the line, somebody lies or you're, you're tempted to lie. That might bother you. So you always can go back as a reference guide. So I wrote it that right. way. Um, as far as the PTSD, you know, I saw my first experience was that, with that was uh, um, a lieutenant. I was a firefighter at the time, a lieutenant. Uh, we ran a call and it was on. I wasn't on this call, but it was on a child that had drowned in the pool. And. He, unfortunately, they weren't able to revive the child. And this just literally messed him up. Right? And he just, he had such a difficulty getting past that because as you know, as firefighters, we always see our own families when we're out there. We see an older lady, it's our grandmother. We see a young lady, it's our wife. We see a baby or child, it's our kid. We just, all those memories come into your mind and it makes it difficult. And I didn't understand much at the time because I was fairly new, but immediately people were like, ah, oh, he needs to hang it up. He can't handle this is the correct handle these things. They need to get out, you know, and eventually, thankfully, he, he started seeing somebody a professional. But you know what? He was never the same. Honestly, after that, he, he became much more closed off, um, much less jovial. He was really like of a jokester before and and he was more uptight experience. And then with me, I started noticing some things. I ran on a, a small, uh, a young man, um, a arrogant, um, wealthy individual, hit him with a car. You know, and, and literally no bicycle. He, this is the only bicycle he ever had. And and he was injured, you know, and, and I just felt I could feel these feelings developing in me. And then over time, we had an older community. And uh, so we probably ran more heart attacks than any of my friends in any of the communities around, constantly running them. 
And you'd run on these calls, Jake, and, and you'll do a CPR on an individual. And they've been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And the mate's grabbing a hold of your arm, grabbing you, saying, please, please, I can't live without him. Please, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you work them 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, and you have to go tell the person that we did everything we could. I'd end up crying half the time. <laughs> I had the Italian emotional thing going on. And, and um, it would get to me so bad that sometimes I'd have to call my wife and I'd say to her, Honey, I can't talk to you right now, but I just need to hear you talk. I can't, you know, and I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm kind of getting a little bit emotional already about it. And I just had to hear my wife talk because all I can see is the day coming when that's going to happen to either my wife or me. One of us is going to be in that same spot. And it built up and it built up and it built up. And, and then I really started examining what is, what are we doing to get rid of these things? We, we hear the military with PTSD, but we're in this career 25, 30 years. And this stuff is boom, 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 boom. I mean, it keeps happening. You're running calls every day. And you might get 5, 10, 15, 20 calls that are really nasty. And then you see what's going on around the country with these school shootings and terrorist attacks and things like this. And yes, yeah, sometimes we focus in on the police and we focus in on what the people, victims that are happening. But no one ever talks about those firefighters that are going in there and taking care of these victims, children that have been shot, you know, bleeding. How does that firefighter recover from that? How could they ever get those images out of their head again? So I started putting this stuff together. And really, initially, I was addressing it from a standpoint as an officer saying, okay, you need to care for those you lead. And one of the things you need to do is to look out for their mental health and yourself, because you can't lead if you're not you know, uh, up to full capacity, but you also want to care for those you're leading and, and maybe hedge off a problem. And while I'm in my third edit of the book, a friend of mine ends up shooting himself in the firehouse. And, and I'm just saying to myself, I would have never guessed this individual. I mean, the guy, he was fantastic. And yeah, I thought a great life, but that's not everything. There's so many more pieces to it. So I really wanted to get something where, I love the fire service. I want to do everything I can. Just like I love taking care of my customers, I want to do everything I can to help take care of my brothers and sisters in this. And I will do that for the rest of my career, rest of my life, rather. So I wanted to start researching, and I really found some really good things. I'm about halfway through the book on PTSD. And, Jake, there's some amazing things out there. I mean, there's studies out there. There's a study out there that talks about uh, – um, these Canadian women that, that were pregnant and they, they, in this town where they lost electricity and some of them got the electricity back right away and some didn't. Well, that strain and stress, because it was in the middle of winter, they could eventually see the effect on the child after it was born. Or they did another study on, on women that witnessed 9-11 that were pregnant. Those that got... Um, help, professional help right away, and those that didn't, their children, because now it's been some time, it, it drastically affected them very differently over time. So you're talking about epigenetics here as well. It's not even a matter of just how it's affecting you. It's actually affecting those that we are giving birth to, those that we're creating. And what firefighter wants to do that? What firefighter wants to pass on something to their child 
that's affecting them, that's giving the child a negative to start with, right? So I think the information is important to at least lay out there for them. Lay out for every firefighter to be able to see, okay, is this affecting me? And you're probably aware, just like every firefighter, there's kind of a stigma, you know, we're macho, hey, things don't affect us and you can't let it affect us. You know, who needs professional help? Who needs talking about it? Don't be a baby, suck it up, be a man. You know, you hear all those things. But I want to be able to lay things out where I say, okay, this is why talking about PTSD is important. This is all the reasons why we need to know about it. These are the things it can do to us. These are the signs and symptoms that you might be experiencing and you want to do a self-examination to see. And if so, here's a whole bunch of different ways to explore. I'm not a doctor, but here's a bunch of medical different ways to explore in order for you to uh, help you. <clears throat> and just on that, the 9-11 one, just to show you, they laid out several things that were the best that helped them, these individuals. And the top three they named were massages, yoga, and, and uh, acupuncture. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is, oh, I have to go talk to a, a psychologist or psychiatrist. And I'm not saying anything against that because I believe in that. But it could even be something that to hedge off things like massages or doing yoga, meditation, things like that. And I try to discuss all those different avenues in the book so that it's a good education for us as brothers and sisters to be able to open up and say, I'm going to, I'm going to explore this and see if I can help uh, myself out in this area and in my family life, you know? <clears throat> That's fantastic, brother. And it's, it's people like you and, and others like uh, Blake Stanett from Next Rung. Uh, he does a lot. Jason Patton, everybody sees Jason Patton um, doing the funny videos for Firehouse, uh, Firehouse Chronicles and, you know, the coffee but he does a whole lot for mental health, too. And it's people like you that and, and those brothers that are, are, are pushing this agenda forward and it's making life better for us. So thank you so much for that. That's that's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. So I think we both know I love your book. Right. How, <laughs> thank you. So much. How well, let's let's end on this one. Tell us how to get your book, where to reach you. If we want you to come to be a speaker, maybe, or anything else that you do to help us brother firefighters. Well, um, getting the book is, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, any major book dealer you can go on to and order it from there. So you just, uh, you could type my name in John Cuomo or, you know, fire um, <clears throat> leadership refined by fire. Either way, you'll find it there. Um, you could also go to my website, which is fdleadership.com. Uh, so fire department, but it's really fdleadership.com. And you'll see uh, my books there, but there's also contact information. You're welcome to reach out to me. I would love to hear from anybody that enjoyed the book, any thoughts that they had in any way, shape or form. You know, I love the fire service. I love talking to my brothers and sisters and um, anything that they have to bring up or if they you know, they want me to come to a place and talk. I'd be happy to do that as well. Um, that's a, a great way to reach me that way. Fantastic. Now, do you have this on audiobook yet? I don't. I don't. That's my next thing I'm going to work on, actually. I'm not trying to tell you how to run your business, but here, here's the thing. If you don't have it on audiobook, there's no way truckies are going to be able to read it. Yeah. So they need it on audiobook because I think we all know that truckies are really slow and, and you know, not bright and can't, obviously can't read. So uh, I'm just telling you, you might want to put it on an audio book for the damn truckies. 
Engine guys are going to love agree. it. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with you. I want to get it on uh, audiobook. I actually listen to audiobooks as well all the time. You know, I'm out in my yard doing stuff or if I'm doing uh, some sort of work where I can listen to it. So I think it is important to get out there. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Brother, thank you for your time. I, I apologize for our scheduling. I'm glad. Been, I, I love the book. Love the podcast. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much. It's great being with you. Same here. Stay safe. Today's podcast was sponsored by Fire Facilities, designers and manufacturers of realistic, built-to-last training structures and mobile units for 30 years. Make training count. Visit firefacilities.com for more information.